That was Richard Davis soloing on Iron Man, recorded in 1963 with band leader Eric Dolphy. Dolphy wrote the music for and named it after Davis, who he called the Iron Man. Dolphy could not have come up with a more apt name. Davis can be heard on 400 albums. It was said that he could record a jingle in the morning, play with a symphony for the afternoon matinee, and then play all night with a jazz combo. After the recording of Iron Man, he continued to play and teach bass for almost six decades. Madison remembers Richard Davis as a professor of music for almost 40 years. But before he came to UW, Davis had one of the most stellar careers in modern American music. There is hardly a musical genre that Davis did not influence the place of the bass. Indeed, Davis played with Igor Stravinsky, who described his playing as godlike. Although he was classically trained and earned a degree in music performance, Davis found that in the early 50s, black musicians were not welcome in the world of classical music. Speaking with WORT in 2016, he described the barriers he faced. Well, I had so much support from my family that I didn't notice any hurdles in the beginning of my playing the bass. I noticed racial issues around 18 and 19 years old. Mm -hmm. I was told by my musical director to uh, play symphonic music also. And that's when I noticed the racial elements coming in. They didn't want any blacks in the orchestras. So when I would audition, they would close shop before they'd see me. That was a, not a hurdle. I consider it, in a sense, a motivation. Yes. Because I knew I could play the music as good as anybody else. So they didn't stand in my way. It was Davis's work with Sarah Vaughan that first brought him notoriety. Over the next 15 years after he left Vaughan, Davis played with virtually every major jazz artist in the U.S. But he later formed his own group called Heavy Sounds with the leading drummer Elvin Jones. The impact of these recordings opened opportunities for him in rock and pop music. Most notably was his performance and the musical direction of Van Morris's breakthrough initial album, Astral Weeks. The entire album is virtually a duet between Davis's bass and Morrison's vocals. If I ventured in the slipstream Between the viaducts of your dream where my world still runs crack And the Dutch and the back road stop Could you find me? Or would you kiss my eyes? A later cut, Slim Slow Slide, again is a duet where Davis's bass plays as a rejoinder to Morrison's tenor-like phrases. Slim Slow Slide The rock critic Grail Marcus described his work on the album as, quote, the greatest bass ever heard on a rock album. 
other mainstream musicians took notice, and soon he was recording with Paul Simon and Bruce Springsteen. As his work in the pop music lane expanded, his opportunities in jazz declined. In 1977, Davis came to Madison, where he mentored generations of musicians as a professor of bass, jazz, and ensemble. He was known as a tough tutor. He told On Wisconsin, quote, I teach character. That's the most important thing for me. Follow through and hard work. The world's not waiting for you. There's lots of talent out there, unquote. He founded the foundation for young bassists to make sure that everyone could have access to learning the bass. Peter Dominguez was the first graduate of the Richard Davis Foundation for Young Bases. In 2018, Dominguez outlined Davis's approach to teaching in an interview on WORT. And I'd, I'd come out of lessons just roaring, you know, with Richard. But he, he, when he came, you know, he was he came from New York and he had that heavy New York accent, and it was hard to understand him. And but, but he always did a thing where he would he would grab your bass, anything that you were playing. And he would immediately tear it up, and then you know he would he would just play it flawlessly, and then hand it back. To you. And he'd always say, "Yeah, and I don't even know your bass, you know." And he just go, "Oh, how do you?" <laughs> it really taught me that that I had to get down to business. And he was he was kind of an old school teacher. You had to you had to go through. We really didn't study any jazz. We studied the the, the, the double bass. We we studied pitch and accuracy and articulation and groove. And, and I realized in, in about two years in. He started giving me more information. The more I was prepared, the more information I got out of him. He was he was really doing old school where he wasn't going to give up uh, what he knew about it until you you showed that you were really dedicated and you were going to you know you were going to uh, apply yourself. Davis's work as an advocate for racial justice and reconciliation was also legendary. In 1998, he created the Retention Action Project, an early form of a DEI program aimed at improving the graduation rates of students of color. In 2000, he founded Madison's Institute for the Healing of Racism, which attempts to raise consciousness about the history and pathology of racism and foster racial unity. WORT asked Davis in 2016 what message he'd like to share about healing racism in Madison. Here's what he said. I would say the main thing is study, to read many, many books, to enlarge your peripheral knowledge of life itself. Also, be kind and passionate and forgiving to everyone that you cross paths with. And thirdly, be active in being a part of the transformation of racism. Each individual has a strong part, and if they think others are going to do it, that causes a problem. That problem will never change. That's all, that's all I got to say about that. Davis passed away on September 6th at the age of 93. The bassist, William Parker, said in a New York Times obituary, Richard Davis was a beautiful musician and human being. He reminded me of an African king, regal and strong. I praise him not because he could play both classical and jazz. I applaud him because the brother had a big poetic sound full of freedom.
You're listening to a special edition of the 6 p.m. local news. We're remembering notable people we lost in the year 2023. I'm your host, David Ahrens. Ada Deer passed away on August 15th, just after she turned 88. It would take too long to recount all of the firsts as a woman and as an Indian that can be linked to her name, Ada Deer. Here are a few. First woman chair of the Menominee tribe. First Indian to lead the U.S. Bureau of Indian Affairs. First Indian graduate and later lecturer at the UW School of Social Work. First Indian from Wisconsin to run for Congress. The list could go on to include her work at Harvard and winning a beauty contest of Indian women. But these achievements may not be as significant as her work as an advocate for her tribe's right to retain its tribal status. Back in the 50s, U.S. policy, following hundreds of years of physical and cultural genocide against Native Americans, attempted to put into place a policy called termination. This would be the bureaucratic final step in America's centuries-long campaign to eradicate American Indians. After termination, all self-governance by tribal members would end. No tribes, no Indians, no reservation lands. Everyone is equal, sort of. The Menominee Reservation in northeast Wisconsin would simply become another county, the nation that existed on those lands for hundreds of years before a European landed in the U.S. would disappear. Ada Deer was born on that reservation in 1935 to a father who worked in the tribal lumber mill and a mother who was German and worked as a nurse in the tribal clinic. Tribal members were angry at the move to terminate their status and their control of the reservation land. Immediately, outside interest started buying land and cutting down the old-growth woods. Deer then made the decision, audacious at the time, to move to Washington, D.C. and become a full-time and self-appointed lobbyist for the tribe for the purpose of turning this around. She wrote articles, met with legislators, bureaucrats, and anyone who would listen. Her efforts were successful. In 1973, President Nixon signed an act to restore the tribal rights of the Menominee. The same year, Deer was elected chair of the nation. Later, as the director of Bureau of Indian Affairs, she fought for the recognition of hundreds of Alaskan tribes that had been denied their sovereign rights. In a 1992 interview on WORT, Deer explained why she ran for Congress. And uh, I'd like to point out that uh, I am the ultimate outsider. You know, a woman, uh, educator, social worker, regular person, person of average means, and an American Indian. And these are not you know, high-ticket uh, items uh, in society. By that I mean um, many of the helping professions, such as uh, nurses and teachers and social workers, are uh, in um, the lower levels of uh, status although we perform many, many important functions. So uh, in terms of being uh, outside, I am outside. Women have been outside, people of color have been outside, and uh, in my campaign, I am working to open up the system so that many, many more people who've been shut out can be included. 
So I have a vision. My vision is peace, justice, equality for the world. Peace, justice, equality for everyone in our society. And I want to work for a universal, comprehensive, single-payer uh, health care system. We don't have access for many people to a good health care at this point. Uh, and job creation is another whole uh, issue. But you can see that um, I'm thinking about individuals, I'm thinking about uh, the total family, the total community, and I disagree strongly with the lack of leadership of President Bush, the poor leadership in the Congress, and I know from my 30 years of activism that one person can make a difference. And in this election, I want to point out how every vote counts and every person out there can make a difference in the election results. After her passing, Ben Wickler, chair of the Democratic Party, and the godson of Ada Deer said, she said everyone, including you, hearing this right now, should dedicate themselves to advancing justice right now.